and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host today, Amishka Katkov. And as we're talking about games marketing spend, I'm, I'm joined by two absolutely fantastic guests. Uh, Eric Suford, um, media strategist, founder of Mobile Dev Memo, um, just all around um, super knowledgeable person when it comes to, to user acquisition strategies. And Brian Murphy, who heads uh, gaming at Apps Flyer. And if you don't know what who who AppsFlyer is or what AppsFlyer does, uh, it's an attribution platform, and they have immense amount of data. And if you go to their website, uh, appsflyer.com, uh, you'll find amazing um, amazing insights and blog posts on on everything um, everything gaming uh, UA related. Uh, with with these two fantastic guests, we talk about the current situation, and it, it is a it is a difficult situation. Not you know, it's not as difficult for games as it's with with other industries, but but it is difficult nevertheless. And we talk about you know what type of UA strategies should game companies take at this moment, uh, given the uncertainties in the futures. And we talk about how game companies should operate through the uh, the recession and even possible you know looming depression. And we'll also you know talk about what will the market look like when when it's all said and done and and when the uh the recovery starts and you know before we jump in i i'd like to thank our our sponsor iron source and you know we all know that developing a great game is one thing but developing a great game business can sometimes be entirely different uh that's why some of the top game developers in the industry use iron source game growth platform to turn their amazing games into amazing game businesses um, and also, I want to I want to push you guys over to their content as well. Uh, we don't mess around with with uh, with content, and neither do they. So the Level Up uh, podcast and the Level Up Medium blog uh, page feature game industry experts talking all things game design, game development, and growth. So if you want to learn more, head to ironsource.com. It's you know typed Iron S R C. Dot com or just go to their medium page and, and look for uh, level up by iron source so highly recommended content but without further ado let's talk about games marketing spend in the midst of COVID and looming recession slash depression all right welcome 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 so I'm joined today by Eric Suford and Brian Murphy uh, so Eric Suford is a media strategist. Everybody probably knows him from Mobile Dev Memo. Uh, he's a founder of that. He's a person who also just published Don't Be Fooled, The Mobile App Economy Will Implode, just like everything else. So we're going to talk about definitely in that, about that. And I'm joined as well with, by Brian Murphy, who's head of gaming at AppsFlyer. And if you don't know what AppsFlyer is, it's the attribution platform. So it's a comprehensive measurement and analytics that help to optimize the end-to-end player journey from an acquisition to retention to ROI and LTV. So in, pla- in practice, it's filtering cohorts of installs versus retargeting by sessions, in-app events, and revenue. You offer deep linking for personalized experience and super robust fraud protection. Um, and a lot of companies like PlayRix, Tencent, PlayTicket, Roblox, Square Enix, and Huge are using AppsFlyer. But Brian, what, is, um, what really is an attribution platform? I have to ask. Good question. Uh, an attribution provider, and more specifically to what we're discussing today, uh, which is like a mobile measurement partner, di- what they do is diagnose a source, each source of, uh, of a new app user, and then they basically tag uh, uh, important events uh, that a user completes in their, in their, uh, in their journey through the application um, by source, by date, etc. And uh, this gives like a mobile acquisition marketer, like a source of truth um, for calculated ROI or ROAS of marketing campaigns. And really is just telling them, you know, over a certain period of time, how successful were your campaigns and where to invest your marketing dollars now and into the future. Perfect. And that means also that you guys have a lot of data. And, and I've, been, I've, been, I've been reading through a lot of the blog posts that you've been posting and kind of like these bigger reports. One was the gaming app spend um, that, uh, that you did a prediction for 2020 in the beginning of the year. And one of the most recent ones was definitely the coronavirus impact on app installs and marketing. So you two are, are the, the perfect two people to talk about 
what's going on in in the market in terms of um, in terms of games and 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 user acquisition. So the the way I I'm I'm just going to give a broad view and and please 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 dive deeper and and I really want to understand how this works. But the, what I'm seeing is you know travel and leisure and mobility. And, and dating and lifestyle, all those apps have been really pull, pulling back on user acquisition and no wonder because people can't travel. Um, you know, Uber, Expedia, all those kind of fell off the cliff. And at the same time, we see Uber Eats and Headspace are booming because people are on lockdown. And that kind of leads to declining advertising CPMs broadly. So we're seeing CPIs going down. We're naturally ourselves staying at home. Uh, and that kind of brings a positive environment for mobile gaming companies because you know we rely on people people's attention at home and in playing games uh well at home and, and commuting and the word on the street is that the cpis have declined as much as 20 to 30 percent for, for game companies so there's a kind of a question is is do you let the savings go to the bottom line or do you invest into growth and and the way I the way I see it, and please just break it down if I'm totally wrong, is is you kind of have two different strategies uh, you can implement right now. One is being aggressive, uh, so investing more into UA because CPIs are lower, and the growth is easier to achieve, and plus people are having actually time to download and and try new games. This would lead to more players and higher revenue in future periods. If and this and this is a huge if. Uh, if the LTV curves don't change drastically due to the looming global recession. Now, the the uh, the the, uh, the option two would be to you know to be conservative, invest actually less in the UA, and get the same number of players as previously planned, and let those savings flow down to your EBITDA, and then basically you know build some cash reserves because of uh, the you know the uncertainties in the future. So, Brian, I mean. Um, <sighs> What what are, what are the effects of COVID you're seeing on the app marketing, and and um and yeah you know how do you see the scenario? Am I, am I totally right or or wrong? I think um you know the, the impacts we're seeing is is definitely in line with what media prints media has been printing out you know recently in that the last few weeks or ever since Corona, the outbreak truly took place beginning in China has obviously spread uh, to across the globe that consumption, uh, app consumption, downloads, organic installs, paid installs are all up. I mean, it's, it's definitely growing, um, which to your point earlier um, is mainly due to consumption habits have, have increased because people are home and there's, you know, there's, there's just a greater time to, to engage with applications. People are going to, they're gonna play more games, yes. They're playing longer periods and more sessions per day. Is it possible that into the near future that consumption although it's increasing, discretionary income will decrease. And if that's the case, then there's a chance that LTVs could actually decrease over time. So it's a matter of whether or not, it's, I think it's the, in games specifically, it's the target audience and really specifically the genre of application that people would want to know either to invest in from a development standpoint or market more aggressively towards. And I think like, if we look at it today, um, we haven't had a recessionary true impact just yet. We're not seeing people with less discretionary income that could be, um, you know, associated to gameplay, particularly free-to-play games that's been impacted. So you know, all things being equal, like we're not seeing less discretionary money being spent on free-to-play games and mobile, but down in the next month, two months, three months, it's very possible that, you know, we, we do hit a very significant recessionary period and um, people will have less, less to spend um, um, from an IAP perspective uh, in the app stores or outside of the app stores. Is it possible that free applications that are, for, that are more based on sort of ad, ad revenue, which could be casual, hyper-casual games, is, does it make more sense to actually develop and market towards those, those applications in the near future, knowing that we're reaching a period of potentially a recessionary cycle? It's something that I think we all have to ask ourselves and, come, and, and think about more in depth. Because we, I think we can all see the indicators of a recession are all here. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, Eric, um, how do you see this COVID effect, um, or actually affecting the app economy, and more specifically the gaming installs and and the marketing budget? And um, how do you, you know, you've actually written about this, but how do you manage marketing spend during the recession? In other words. How should a games company plan for reduced future income, as as uh, as Brian was saying, as a result of current users spending less, 
And number two, assuming marketing spend goes down, how should a games company plan for reduced future income as a result of reduced marketing spending on new users? Um, yeah, good, uh, good questions. Um, so first, thanks for having me back on the podcast. Always <laughs> great course. to, uh, always great to participate. Um, yeah, so I think, I think, uh, so I've, I posted about this kind of two times, right? So I posted this week, uh, which was like, um, uh, maybe a little bit, uh, more of, of, a, of a hysterical sounding headline. Um, and then I posted about last week, which was just kind of like early, um, uh, early observations about what's happened to the app economy as a result of coronavirus, right? So in, in, in kind of in both of those articles that I posted, I kind of made the point that I think this pandemic is going to unfold in two stages, right? And it's kind of a unique situation um, because it's caused by this kind of, um, you know, ex ex completely exogenous uh, event or completely exogenous uh, f force, which is the, the virus. But um, it's going to unfold in two stages. The first stage is is the quarantine, right? Um, it, which is kind of a novel thing, right? Uh, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording, and, and this hasn't really affected our lives that much. It's it's annoying, and we're at home, and we can't leave, and it's uncomfortable, um, and it's inconvenient. But my income is uh, has not been affected. Um, you know, I'm I'm not out of a, my job. Um, so more, you know, I, I have, I have the same level of disposable income and I've got a lot more free time on my hands. Right. Um, and then the second stage of this pandemic is the recession where I think depression, I think this is going to be, I think this is going to, um, this is going to instigate a, a, a global depression. Um, and, and that is, uh, you know, a, a lot less kind of like whimsical, right? It's not, oh man, you know, what am I going to do to fill my free time? It's people are, people are going to, um, be thinking about how they're going to, you know, keep roof, roof over their heads and, 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 and feed themselves. And so I think we're in the pandemic, uh, we're in the quarantine stage of this pandemic, and people have a lot more free time in their hands, they have the same basic level of disposable income, I think we're starting to move into the depression phase. And you see that um, in a couple of different indicators. One is, you know, last week, um, almost, you know, three and a half million people in the United States uh, registered for right. unemployment, right? Um, that's three and a half million people that that's, don't have jobs anymore that, that don't have an income stream. Um, you know, you basically in a week, you saw the US unemployment rate rise by nearly 1%, right? 1%, 1% of the, sorry, one, one, nearly 1% of the entire country claimed unemployment benefits. The other is you're just starting to see this um, change in download patterns bleed into apps that are related to discretionary income versus just engagement, right? So um, in my post last week, I posted about the who are the winners of this, um, of this moment and they're the companies that are making uh, local news apps and they're the companies that are making chat apps and messaging apps and they're the companies that are making like home education apps um, and well now who are the losers and if you look at it um, you're looking at you know the the, the, the the verticals you'd expect right which are based on kind of in-person social interactions like uber airbnb those have all plummeted but now you're starting to see like poshmark ebay goat um, some just shopping apps uh, also um, uh, experiencing significant decreases in, in, mm. in, in download chart rankings. Now I'll say that, you know, of course, download chart rankings don't necessarily mean that download numbers have decreased. And some people have made the point to me uh, on, on LinkedIn and social media, but, but actually they do when they fall this dramatically because um, these scales are exponential, right? So going from rank 100 to 110, if, if overall installs are increasing, maybe you didn't decrease installs, it's just others increased more than you did. But if you go from 100 to 500 or 100 to 1000, yeah, yeah, you probably lost a lot of installs, right? And so I think as we move into this depression phase of the pandemic, you have to question not, a, not you have to start thinking beyond just like the extra free time, uh, same level of disposable income, like, hey, what, what can I do to kill 20 minutes? I'm bored, I'm my, you know, uh, this is annoying. You have to start thinking about like, well, what happens generally in the economy when lots of people lose their jobs, companies aren't hiring, um, consumer spend uh, decreases dramatically. And well, that is they just stop spending money on pretty much everything. And, and it's and so I think right now people have, you know, people have made the point that like, well, you know, games, there's a higher level of value per uh, uh Per, uh, per, so there's a higher level of like entertainment value per dollar spent on gaming and that's true but what happens when there's no more dollars to spend right i think people are kind of thinking a little bit short term about this now the question of like whether gaming is recession proof or not 
you can look at the data. I mean, I made a point in my article last week that it's, it's, it's mixed, right? So if you look at 2008, uh, global financial crisis, gaming revenues went up in 2008, they went down in 2009, uh, and they kind of kept going down in 2010, right? So like it, it, it was mixed. Overall, they were up on 2007, but um, it, it, it wasn't, uh, they weren't up year over year throughout the entire recession, right? Um, now, one thing you have to think about with freemium is like, okay, well, the 2008 data all applies to like console games because the App Store was launched in 2008. And there weren't a lot of freemium apps at that launch. Like freemium, freemium didn't really kind of take off with gaming until 2011, 2012. And then yeah. it really hit its stride in 2014, right? So we have really no uh, historical uh, data around what happens to, to freemium products, uh, or at least in the kind of Western paradigm. Um, in a recession, if you think about a freemium app, you could kind of probably think about it as like an inferior good, right? So like in, an, in economics, um, inferior goods have sort of negative income elasticity of demand, which means like when people's incomes go down, demand for these goods goes up because they're cheaper than normal goods, right? So if you think about them that way, um, well, yeah, you'd imagine that demand for these things goes up, but if people don't have money, right, I don't think that they're going to be buying a lot of in-app purchases, right? That seems like it's probably way low on the list of priorities of things to spend your money on in a recessionary or depressionary uh, environment. So what happens? I think you, you do see adoption and engagement go up of premium products. I, I think you see it, but I think you see monetization go way down, right? And so then now to kind of, that was a very long route to get to your question. Well, what do you do from a UA perspective? Well, okay, if I'm buying users right now and I'm seeing, wow, CPIs are way down, CPMs mm -hmm. are way down, um, CTRs are exactly flat or they're up. Uh, and hey, even conversions are up, conversion rates early stage. I'm still going to be very, very skeptical because I think that long-term LTV curve is going to be a lot different than what I was seeing two months ago or three months ago. And so if I'm buying on that same basis, um, it's, I have no idea whether that's going to be ROAS positive. What I need to do is I need to go back to basics. I need to buy, I need to decrease spend until I hit ROAS profitability on some very, very conservative short timeline. And then I need to just incrementally increase that over time as I get more and more comfortable with the data that I have. But I would be, I would be very, very conservative right now. I think people are not fully appreciating the severity of the economic situation. I think we're, we're headed towards a, a global depression. I think all of the economic indicators support that. And I think if you're just thinking about this as in terms of the quarantine, you're missing the bigger picture, which is the depression is gonna change everything, including your business. Mm. So what do, you, what do you think about something that Brian mentioned in terms of ad revenue becoming more important? Um, is, 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 that a, is that a possible, uh, or is that something that, that game companies should be looking into? Yeah, I mean, the thing is CPMs are declining. So that means the ad revenue is going to decline um, mm -hmm. on a kind of per view basis. But, uh, you know, a lot of these games don't really do, like if you're talking about like hyper casual idle, um, you know, a lot of these games don't depend completely on user acquisition. So what you need to do is you need to sort of like decouple um, the, 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 the two sides of the user economics. You need to sort of make sure that um, even as your sort of like unit monetization decreases because CPMs are decreasing um, that you're able to kind of um, you're not that that's not like kind of um, uh, directly proportional to your user acquisition costs right mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. because if it is then then it's going to be hard to support that and sustain that right so I think what you need to do is you need to figure out like okay well how do I um, get more of like a viral benefit to these types of games which and a lot of them do kind of benefit uh, from from virality that sort of displaces the need to, to, to do a lot of UA. Another thing, you know, it's interesting, like we're all making this sort of like basic assumption though, and uh, you might agree or disagree, but we're making a basic as assumption that, all right, you know, games that make a larger preponderance of revenue through, uh, through advertising, whether through, you know, interstitials, banners, rewarded video, playable re rewarded ads, you know, if you're making a, an assumption that the it's one-to-one -one in that you make money off advertising, shift everything dramatically towards ad revenue. Well, the fact is, is that, you know, the, the advertisers are still dependent on users buying things at the end of the day, no matter who it is. It could be another gaming company in, say, the same genre, or it could be somebody to one of your applications earlier, like Poshmark or, or, or Goat or somebody like that. If the fact is, is if that, that user that you're monetizing through ads doesn't have as much money to spend, then ultimately that's going to that's going to lead to um, a decrease in marginal marginal return to that advertiser because that user just has less to spend. Um, so another one of the challenges that we're seeing here is that again we haven't seen this before in terms of this recessionary cycle with free to play, but then everybody's assuming at the same time that like hey nothing's going to change, I can still make money off ad revenue. When I made that point earlier, I think 
people could ultimately shift their development priorities and how they market towards ad revenue based uh, games. But that doesn't necessarily mean that those games are immune to this recessionary cycle because those users that they're monetizing would have less to spend. And ultimately, the downstream advertiser would see an inverse impact there. I don't know if you agree or disagree. No, I, I, I agree 100%. I mean, I, in, the, in the post I, I uh, published today, I included some kind of data points around what happens to advertising spend during uh, or what happened uh, in 2008. And the decrease is more extreme um, than the, the decrease in, in, in GDP, right? Uh, and for that reason, people don't have money to buy stuff. So you can't, uh, you know, expose them to ads uh, that convince them to buy things, right? So I think you, you, you've got to consider both sides of that, um, you know, that, that the sort of income and the expense uh, components of, of running even a hyper casual game. I mean, and so, the, but, but, but I think, I, honestly, I think the hyper casual market, you need to split that out into like kind of two distinct segments. One is games that are basically just running high scale arbitrage mechanics with other hyper casual games. Um, and then games that sort of hit some sort of uh, minimum level of awareness and uh, grow mostly organically. A lot of studios are you know, they're, they're, they're posting really like impressive sounding revenue numbers until you realize that like that revenue goes right back out the door uh, in the form of UA from other hyper casual games. Agreed. It's, it's, for, it's not for us to deter, to, to, to assume that that, that model will continue to grow um, when you're spending so much money on, on monetizing and advertising your users so fast. It feels like the margins have gotten squeezed at least at the very beginning, and now with so much competition and so much saturation in the hyper-casual market, it's hard to determine like what's the long-term business uh, strategy uh, of that genre of games, uh, knowing that that's the, the reality of how you acquire and monetize. So I, I, guys, I wanted to ask you um, a little bit of a portfolio question. So uh, a lot of the listeners, they, they have different type of portfolios at the moment. They have uh, legacy games, they might have games that are pretty new that they're scaling at the moment. And they might also have games that they are about to launch or have just launched. Um, what would you do in, in this type of situation? I mean, Eric was talking about, you know, basically changing the, um, the, uh, the, the LTV curves. So this is definitely true for legacy games that, that maybe have been on the market for four five, six years. And, and the LTV curve is quite clear. But at the same time, those games don't have a lot of robust uh, marketing going on, not usually. Now, they, the UIs are, are you know, pretty conservative quite often. And, and during these type of times, uh, what a lot of developers have seen is these legacy games that, that people have been just playing for a really long time. They're getting uh, more traction because of you know, the quarantine. And at the same time, there are, there are new games launching and, and they're seeing you know, maybe smaller than anticipated CPIs. Uh, what, what, should, you know, what should companies do um, yeah, I can take this. I would focus on my legacy yeah. titles. Uh, I would not be investing into acquisition for new titles with no mm. kind of like historical user profiles right now. I would be investing into titles where mm. I have lots and lots and lots of robust data. Um, and I can, you know, use that data to build models around how users are going to monetize. I mean, which is not to say that user monetization will look the same, but the more data I have, the, the more kind of um, context I have around adjusting adjusting uh, my model when monetization changes, right? If I'm going into a completely new um, new game, right? And I'm launching that, uh, you know, in this environment, I have, I have zero idea what the kind of general monetization pl uh, profile looks like, right? So in that case, I just have no, co zero context, even though, even though the situation is changing, I have zero sort of historical context and historical basis, um, uh, by which to compare what I'm seeing now. Whereas with the legacy title, um, I have lots and lots and lots of historical data, lots and lots of different player pro profiles that I can use to at least then track the change that's happening now, right? Um, also, I mean, I have a, a probably a, a, a you know a, a DAU base that has got some level of like. Um, uh, players who are basically permanent fixtures, right, mm -hmm. and who aren't going to leave, and I can depend on that for income. Whereas if I launch a new game, I have zero idea like what the retentive power of that game is. I don't know how long people are going to stick around for. I don't know how the cohorts are going to um, compound. Um, I would stick with like the sort of, the sort of tried and true. I think that the 
my general sense here is that people need to do whatever they can to make sure that um, their business remains viable, right? Uh, they need to do whatever they can to ensure the, 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 the continuation of their business. Um, I would not be investing into, um, into sort of like risky, uh, you know, projects right now. I would be conserving as much cash as possible and I would be exploiting to, you know, the max possible degree um, in my sort of existing stable revenue streams. Eric definitely answers it from a, a data and experiential uh, level, like from somebody who's done, you know, marketing at a very high, high level of sophistication for a long time. But I think any level of certainty that we can give back to a person, no matter what it is, is probably really valuable to them, uh, knowing that we're entering this period of that's going to be really unsettled. And so, you know, Eric answers it from, I, and what I'm saying is I agree with what Eric just suggested, is that um, when people are this fixated on, on the, fixated on the uncertainty and the anxiety of what's, what's happening in front of us into the future, some level of solidity and, and certainty in their lives is actually really valued to them. So maybe a, a new game that's coming out in the market that's hitting the app stores isn't as interesting or, or relevant to them because it's, it's just another creation of uncertainty at a time that they want to reduce uncertainty. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe it's that these apps that I've been playing for, for, you know, for five, 10 years potentially are giving me some level of balance in my life and, 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 and focus and, 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 and solidification that uh, uh, it's making me more, you know, confident about what's going to happen into the future and not kind of straying my thoughts about where it doesn't need to go. And so maybe, you know, they're going to opt to play applications and games that are, that, that they've had experience with in their life has given them a lot of value um, and, 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 and happiness, frankly. So uh, I, I come at it more of, I agree with doubling down more on your, your, your more existing titles with larger user bases, but with something that's, you know, that's, that's repeatable, that's consistent. Um, and you've, you've experienced success with over a number of years, maybe rather than something that might be a little bit more risky and new to the market. Uh, it, it makes sense. I actually, but at the same time, we're seeing a little bit of a different trend. This might be because of what, what Eric was saying before is like, we're in the quarantine stage and not, not yet in the, uh, the possible depression stage. Uh, because, you know, when you look at games like Warzone or Call of Duty Warzone, that, that got like 30 million players in, inside one week or, or something like that. Uh, when you look at, you know, Teamfight Tactics just released on, on touchscreen devices, uh, maybe 10 days ago, seven days ago, something like that, not a long time ago. And that game has already been downloaded five and a half million times. So I, I do understand, Brian, what, what you're saying. And, and 100%, like, theoretically, I agree to that. And then this is something that you can see in, in some of the uh, portfolio games. And that's why I think legacy games are doing so well. Uh, at the same time, it seems like at least in this stage, uh, people are interested in, in just entertainment and kind of something that takes their mind off of, of, uh, of things, uh, at least based on download numbers and, and engagement. I don't think um, anybody could disagree with that, though. Um, yeah. I, think, uh, it, I think you're right. We've, we don't want to do cart before the horse here in sort of forward-thinking analysis, but, you know, we yeah. are at a stage of, look, we, we've been locked down. You know, we're in periods where people are, are at home more than they've ever been, frankly, that in our lifetimes. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we're looking <laughs> at this – this, you know, this downstream effect that's going to take place that we're all, you know, the writing's on the wall clearly. And, you know, I think we're all sort of preparing for that. In a lot of ways, we're thinking strategically ahead about what this could mean for not only gaming, but just the economy in general. Yeah, yeah. I, I had one follow-up question for Eric. And, and, you know, we're talking about new game, old game. Um, how much data, how many, how many months of data would be uh, sort of a rule of thumb? Uh, I don't know if it's, I mean, I don't know if I can answer that. I, I think if you think about a game, like a real legacy game, a game that's been yeah. alive for three, four years. Um, like Township, eight right. years. So, yeah, Township, uh, Fishdom, uh, which I think is, Fishdom was way up in the download charts um, from what I posted last week. But yeah. you think about these legacy titles and you just have so much certainty into what you think the, LTV curve or the ROAS, the ROAS curve and, and, and various like LTV levels looked like in the past, right? And so now as you see data come in and mm. it doesn't track to that, um, you could decide that, well, maybe, the, maybe, maybe it doesn't, it's maybe the, the absolute levels are lower, but the curve um, 
it is still valid and you could just project out at you know kind of a with a with this just just a generally lower absolute level of of, of uh you know user per user spend or you say look we, we we know that we know that we have to throw the curve out and we know that this is different so let's re-index our spend but you have that context i think if you launch a new game you just have zero context you have no idea mm -hmm. how to interpret the data that you're getting um uh, yeah and, and and so but i think another you know just to your point like i mean it, it, and i always make this point um about doing these kind of like you know this, L, this sort of like ltv roas analysis like it, it's really 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 hard to get a credible projection out uh to like 90 days or whatever because if you think about how much data you need to get um to, to build a model right like let's say that your minimum your minimum sort of threshold for feeling comfortable in a model is that you know any any given data any any given point along the model any given like day x point has 10 there's there's 10 data points to support that right so okay then you know if i want to get to you know ni a 90 day uh projection right i need 100 days worth of data right so or 101 because 100 people pass through that day 90 right so i i need you know it, pe people think like well, a soft launch could be three months. Well, a soft launch is if that's three months, um, you know, then you've got you know one data point at day ninety, right? So I, it, it's just like it, it kind of goes to showcase like exactly how much data you need to 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 really feel com confident and comfortable in, in these kinds of projections. So like I, I say, if you have a year, two years of data, you're probably in a good position. Um, and then, but then on top of that, you have these legacy cohorts that are still there. They're still contributing lots of revenues and hopefully mm -hmm. they've compounded and that sort of like late stage retention, um, isn't, hasn't, it doesn't degrade anymore. And they're basically like almost like permanent fixtures. And then you can kind of count on that for like a stable revenue stream. Now the question is, okay, if this really does go nuclear and it's like full on depression, I mean, people just stop spending money across the board, right? Yes. So you can't make, you can't make any assumptions about monetization at any stage in the game. Like you could have a, a player that's been there for five years, monetize, monetize very reliably. If this goes into a depression, you have no idea how they're going to continue to monetize and engage the game. Yeah, yeah makes, makes total sense. So, so just be super conservative. Be super conservative. And then also, I mean, I think you just need to retest every single assumption that you use in, you know, in the way you operate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this this makes total sense. By the way, I also checked out because uh, we were talking about two thousand nine, two thousand eight, and two thousand nine when when things went nuclear. Um, I was thinking about what what um, what free to play game launched during that time because there's there's no free to play games. Farmville one launched in June two thousand nine. That's that's towards the end of it. Uh, so you know, there's at least some data of 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 that era, but like nothing nothing like other free to play does come to my mind on Facebook. Okay, was that on 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 Facebook? Or that was that yeah was on Facebook on okay. Canvas. 2009 June was Farmville one. Wow. So and and you can actually track a little bit back to Zynga's game that they were launching. Zynga's games that were launching in 2009 and 2008. Mm. So those were the first free to play games. Right. Um, yeah, and a lot of people were probably sitting at home and, and Facebooking on desktop back then. So there's a little bit some data. Uh, I, I don't know where to pull that data from, but but there's some data. Um, the, the, you know, the biggest publishers in 2008 and 2009 that really experienced um, the you know the down or the the, the fallout of, of that recessionary period were mm -hmm. the ones that we're all familiar with, like EA and, and 2K and uh, Nintendo, and you can go on and on and on about the giant publishers that were out there, um, and. You know, the assumption, is, again, is people are, you know, making the claim that is, is, our ga is gaming recessionary proof. And, um, you know, uh, if you look at the stock valuations of those companies back in 2008 and 2009, they took pretty dramatic decreases um, uh, over that period of time. It, it, um, and, and so it's, it's interesting because then Eric might remember and Michael, you might remember, too, that the casual market, um, you know, casual gaming market started to grow really dramatically in the early to mid 2000s for big portals like Big Fish and Podcast, etc. And then there was this big rush to commoditize and saturate the market with these downloadable casual games, um, which spawned Casual Connect, which was obviously a trade and then ultimately a great show for a many number of years. And ultimately was devoted to that business model of trying to publish games in, in large gaming portals, most likely for say $20 to install. Um, they had some levels of LT, LTV um, uh, you know, data and, and focus where they could say, oh, you get a seven day trial and once that's over, 
you know, you either pay, you know, $20 mm. for, for the application and download it directly to your machine, the, the large, um, the large uh, downloadable uh, client, um, or you just become a free user that, 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 that never converted into a paying user, basically. Um, and um, I think uh, not only did the big publishers, like the ones I just, that, that I mentioned earlier, suffer because, um, you know, the economy hit them pretty dramatically, um, but at the same time, the casual gaming market commoditized really dramatically, where, where it started out saying could be somewhere down $30 in install, down to 20, down to 18, down to 15, down to five, to the point where it got to like 599 or something like that. And at some point that business model just didn't make sense anymore because you couldn't actually create a real ROI uh, on spend uh, to acquire a user. Um, and, and ultimately it shifted. And then we, we moved into the free to play market when the Korea um, methodology of doing free-to-play games sort of, you know, came into the United States, North America, in Western Europe, frankly, and suddenly we had a whole new business model for uh, for, for for video games, um, and then uh, that primarily started to your point earlier with um, with uh, the Facebook Canvas platform, but even MySpace, to be frank, uh, was big with that. Even Friendster actually had opened up its um, platform to app developers. Um, ultimately, we all know that Facebook was the one that, you know, grew, grew immensely and Facebook is what it is today. And then ultimately, um, uh, as Facebook, as we left the Facebook canvas um, and mobile became big on Facebook, but for everything else, uh, including the app stores on, um, on iOS and Google, uh, I'm sorry, Android, uh, then we, we moved into the mobile uh, spree. So um, what's interesting, guys, is that if you look at it, it's like, what's the innovation that we could, um, what's the innovation we could see come out of this? Um, and, you know, the question, there's, the question might, might come to people is like, is free to play, I mean, how long can this business strategy really go? Um, mm -hmm. Especially in turbulent economic times. Is subscription model now um, an, an element that might be more, uh, more relevant or, or more successful into the future? Um, with things like Apple Arcade and potentially Stadia, uh, among other opportunities that people have with subscription model-based games. Um, is it possible that if you're a rational, a rational economic thinker in terms of what you're spending your money on, um, is it possible that you know, unlimited gameplay on a $5.99 subscription or whatever that, uh, whatever that monthly subscription might be for a period of one to three years or whatever, um, is that going to give you more value as a user than doing a free-to-play free game where you, you download it and install it for free, um, but ultimately, as you know, as, as, you, as you grow through the game, there's a high likelihood you're going to actually spend money for, for whatever purpose to, to rise through the game. Is it possible that you now as a user feel like the subscription model either today, three months from now, or maybe into the future that subscription models are actually a better rational economic choice for you as a user than maybe free-to-play games are? And something to, that's begged to be that's a question we beg because we're all looking at like how companies are trying to broaden and diversify its revenue portfolio is is subscription modeling going to grow in this in this period of time because of what we're all facing today it's a great question to ask mm. that's that, that actually that that's really interesting that's um yeah because you, you talked about the, the sort of a try before you buy model moving into free to play in like early 2010 and and yeah, that's, that, that's, that's very interesting. A subscription is kind of like 10 years now after free to play model came in and 20 years after the, uh, the sort of a try before you buy model came in. But it'll um, be interesting, Michael. It, the question is like for Eric, Eric, I'd love to yeah. hear your thoughts on this. It's like from a marketing perspective and UA perspective, if we, let's say we, let's say focus is shifted towards subscription. I mean, how does that change everything for you as a, as a marketer, frankly? Well, I think um, subscription, uh, so it's, it's actually like a lot less complex to, to do marketing for a subscription app. The problem with subscription apps is that there is no sort of like long tail LTV. Um, the distribution is, is uh, very narrow, right? It's just around whatever the subscription, uh, you know, whatever sort of like permutations you can have of the different subscription offerings and a lot of times it's just the one, right? So, you know, there's no ability to kind of like offset loss, right? And so generally, like you have with a, like a, a free play game, right? Like, especially an IP driven one where you have a very, very long tail LTV distribution, you have whales, you have people spending ten, tens of thousands of dollars in the game. And so, you know, you can offset the free users with that kind of, um, that high magnitude of spend with subscription, you can't do that. Right. And so you have to be, you have to be good at picking, you have to be good at targeting. Um, you can't 
support that loss uh, generally because um, you know well, you want to you, you, you want to sort of like grow your marketing spend to whatever the uh, the greatest possible extent is while profitable and so that you there's you end up having like a very fixed um, and usually kind of like lower um, uh, kind of uh, average uh, install cost that you can bear to support like break even right or support profit uh so it, it's i think it's easier to do it it's in the it's less complex and like the sort of like analytics behind it are, are, are kind of more straightforward but um you generally are like more constrained unless the thing is just like so 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 broad um you know that that lots of people would want it but again because of that um because of that nature of the the very narrow ltv band you you just can't you can't support non non-paying users and there are no there, there's no such thing as non-paying users right um, so you can't support a lot of installs that you that you acquire, you know, paid installs that don't end up converting. Um, so you just have to be careful. But but then again, it's a stable revenue stream. It's easier to model. Um, you know, these these packages tend to be sort of yearly, and so you get you you get to sort of recognize and and, and you get to realize all that revenue up front versus with an, an IEP based um, uh, game economy where the LTV is realized generally over like a pretty um, a pretty long time frame, right? So I, I think that that would kind of, I think shifting more towards a subscription-based economy would um, would be the kind of like conservative approach. I think it is a good idea, and I, I think in general a lot of gaming companies want to do that anyway, um, mm -hmm. uh, just because uh, subscriptions are really nice, uh, recurring revenue is really nice. But I think um, you know then you 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 do kind of um, run into some uh, constraints with uh, with with marketing there. Yeah. But at the same time, if, if marketing spend is decreasing across the board, uh, I think Brian, you brought a really interesting point with, with the uh, subscription based games because, or sub subscription, you know, services overall, because if, if the marketing spend is decreasing, that means the user acquisition cost is lower. And now you actually have a, a sort of a, a chance to, to kind of start getting in users to your subscription service. Um, there could be a gap there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is, Fascinating. Um, okay, so I don't want to I don't want to turn this too much into subscription because this is one of my favorite topics. I could I could talk to <laughs> talk about that for days. Um, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about. Um, so Appslar made a report at the beginning of the year. It was called "Gaming Apps Gaming Apps to Spend on User Acquisition in 2022," and and in that report, you know, you basically detail that the gaming spend on user acquisition was about 22 billion in 2019 and the projected spend for 2022 uh, when the game app marketers will allocate 48.5 billion towards user acquisition. So more than double. And in that report, there were mentioned five reasons and two unknowns of why the marketing spend will more than double inside of three years. And that would be the increased competition. So that means, you know, less new games, increasing, uh, RPIs, increasing LTVs, and this all leads to increasing payback and CPIs. Uh, the second part was companies are becoming even more better at UA. So that means both data teams, the creative teams, the performance marketing teams, uh, the growth team all together. Uh, they can confidently invest in marketing and drive return on ad spend. Uh, the third point was organic growth and basically the lack of it. Uh, the market is stuffed and we can see that since 2016, the amount of new games entering the market has drastically decreased. And then we've kind of, you know, reached the peak saturation, especially in the Western market. And the second part was just, you know, the quality of, of organic traffic. We've, I mean, we've all seen uh, organic, uh, what, what feature in traffic is and, and you know, it, it's, it is what it is. Uh, and then two more points, the growth would, is, is on both ends of the genre spectrum. So that, that means, you know, the call of duties are growing at the same time with the hyper casual market. So almost every category in games was growing. And the fifth point was the rise of ad revenues. And that's naturally increased the LTVs and increasing spend uh, for, for overall uh, marketing. And the two unknowns there that in the report were mentioned were 5G. And uh, I don't, uh, 5G is actually interesting. I, I, I don't know what to, what to think of it. And the second part was cloud gaming. So basically games outside uh, app stores. That That's the way I read it. Uh, the report did not mention subscriptions, which, which would have been a very interesting addition. So question to Brian is, is like, you know, a lot has changed in a really, really short time after this report was released. And which one of these risks, which one of these predictions or elements you think are most at risk and, and 
and you know and why is it po it's possible that the competition could could scale back to some degree after what we've just witnessed the last few months um uh, or ever, i'm sorry let, let ever since this report was published it's possible that there will be some level of of apprehension uh, of, of really spending more heavily you know as we enter this new phase of the world um so i think that that could potentially play into uh, a risk a risk factor of this of this determination that we've made however i will say we put a lot of thought into this and mm -hmm. it, it's definitely bearing out that the games in general are just growing really really fast and uh and it's not it's not it's not focused in 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 particular re from one region to the next this is across the globe so um consumption habits are still growing um i think uh in a lot of ways now um and this is a again a very qualitative way to like determine the market that you know gaming now frankly is is a should be looked at as another form of entertainment um that that people didn't necessarily look at video games at previously i think games now are or should be viewed as um an entertainment factor in 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 competition with other mediums that are out there traditional mediums that are out there in the market um being film television music games are uh, just as big a part if not bigger part of people's lives today um because of accessibility um because of richness of of of, of platforms because of richness of of innovation and development that you know, games are growing just as a way for people to pass the time in most cases um, that people didn't really think about before. And I think um, it's just becoming much more pervasive in people's lives than it ever has been. Um, and, and, and yes, uh, there's, there's a lot of ways to determine growth of ad spend because people are getting smarter at it, which they are. Um, and there is growth in competition and um, there's new ways of doing things, new ways of monetizing, which we were highlighting in this report. But at the same time, it's just becoming a bigger part of people's uh, entertainment lives and uh, and it, it will continue to do so and it probably will continue to grow beyond what our projections are even into 2022. Mm. Okay yeah makes makes all sense. Um, Eric you're more doom and gloom so what what is your projection for 2022? Well I mean that's pretty far out I mean even in a depression scenario we'd probably already be seeing a recovery at that time. I I think, um, and also if you kind of just looking at the, um, the data about these, uh, the, the uh, change in advertising spend during the 2008 recession, it, it, it was uh, pretty drastic and, and dramatic 2008, 2009, but 2010 it recovered, right? And again, the swings were more extreme than the swings in GDP. Um, so it comes back and it comes back strong. Uh, 2022, I can't say. 2020, mm -hmm. I, I would, I, my belief is that you see at the very least a six month period of reduced spend, even for gaming companies. And I think you see a, what I, what I think is really interesting in this time period is I think you see a lot of these companies uh, shaking out, right. And, uh, and, and probably being a lot of good companies that just weren't able to um, exercise good financial discipline being acquired. Right. And, and a lot of consolidation resulting from that um, because you do have like a lot of cash rich, uh, acquires in, in, in the, in the market, especially in mobile. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of companies are basically operating on some sort of like break even or even loss making growth trajectory. Um, hoping to, hoping to kind of, um, enlarge their valuations. Uh, so, and, and they're just going to run out of runway. I mean, you know, I'm looking at, uh, someone sent me today, uh, a list is basically like an air table of all these, of all tech companies that are, uh, either freezing hiring or laying people off. And I mean, I would say it's about half the companies on this list. And it's, a, it's like a, a thousand company list are about half are either laying off or hiring or uh, freezing hiring. Right. I mean, that's, there's just an incredible amount. Uh, there was, a, there was an incredible amount of money being doled out, um, you know, in the last decade, but in the last, you know, maybe three to four years, especially. And a lot of companies just never, uh, you know, we're able to learn financial discipline. And so, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and in the gaming space, it's common to do that. You know, you, 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 you know, you have a hit game or you, you, you grow a hit game via sort of like loss making or like break even UA and you, you, you make, you lose money on OPEX and, and whatever. And, and then you raise a big round and then you do, you know, uh, you know, games two and three and you, you get another studio and, and, and you just grow and grow and grow. And well, for a lot of those companies, time's up. Right, because there's probably not going to be any opportunity to raise more money uh, for the foreseeable future, and so 
uh, they either get picked up uh, in kind of fire sale scenarios or they go under. Mm. All right. All right. That, that, that makes sense. So that kind of speaks to the, uh, the Chinese word for crisis and that it's composed of, of, you know, two characters, it's danger and opportunity. So uh, that's, that's what it seems to be uh, going into this scenario. Um, guys, um, anything else uh, you, you want to cover? We've covered a lot, uh, a lot more than, than I anticipated. Um, no, I guess I would just mention that um, for anyone kind of interested in, in what, uh, you know, how they might think about um, their marketing strategy during a recession, um, I'm hosting a free webinar tomorrow. Um, if you go to mdm.academy, that's the web address, uh, mdm, https, mdm.academy. Um, it's the, the, the webinar description's there, but it's, uh, it's free. Anybody can join. It's, that's tomorrow being Tuesday, the 31st. Um, mm -hmm. It's running from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. And that's on, on Zoom. Perfect. Uh, Brian, how, how can people get hold of you virtually during this time? Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you for the time, <laughs> Michael, and, and, and definitely for, for Eric. Um, it, it was very Great topics, interesting discussion, and, and something we all should think about and put a lot more thought into into the future. Um, uh, you know, I'll say this about uh, what I think uh, mm -hmm. you know, my my place in here is, and, and frankly for AppsFlyer as well is, you know, we're entering a very uncertain and challenging time. Um, and uh, if you do want to reach out to me, I could say that AppsFlyer has a a massive technology platform and a great data set, uh, whereby we can be a true consultant for any gaming developer in their development, marketing, or even publishing phases throughout their life cycle. Um, and we wanna be a partner for you guys as we, as we head through these challenging periods. Um, and we feel like we're, we're a great platform to do that and a partner to grow in a, in a tough time. Um, so if you do wanna uh, follow up with me, uh, feel free to reach me at brian.murphy at appsflyer.com. And it's b-r-i-a-n.murphy, M-u-r-p-h-y at appsflyer.com. Happy to talk to you, discuss any challenges, needs um, around the market. and and how we can be a good partner in your growth in the future. Perfect, perfect. Um, I'm sure you'll, you'll get connected because as Eric said, at this point, you really need data and, and AppSlyer has a lot of data to, to, you know, to clear the, uh, to help out with the uncertainties. So uh, gentlemen, I wanna thank you very much and we'll, we'll be back. We'll probably be talking inside three to, to six months and, and kind of see how, what the situation is then and um, yeah, dive deeper uh, what happened and what will happen next. So thank you very much. Great, thank you. Thank you.